She's captain of the Norway Thorn in Union side Protector of Bell Station And a source of grudging pride Left the Maziani With their price upon her head And stayed to guard the stations That the company left for dead Captain Signy Mallory Has no soul, they say The captain of the Norway Has a heart of frozen clay That on the bridge of the Norway I have voyaged the dark stars for five times the lifespan of a common man, long before our glorious emperor made me one of his, and I tell you this, monsters crawl the blasted faces of myriad uncounted worlds, creatures so foul they would stop a man's heart just to see, and... That is only the start of the true nightmare, for there is no mortal mind that can encompass the wickedness of the alien in all its forms and designs. So then, why should it surprise the wise man that in such a galaxy of terror, humanity should need monsters of its own, if we are to survive? Captain Calico Jack Harlock, sanctioned rogue trader, attached as Pathfinder to the Bloody 13th Expeditionary Fleet. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lost Transmissions, a Battlefleet gothic podcast set in the Age of Darkness. I'm here with our arena champion, Austin, and as promised, today we are going to talk about the 12th Legion, the World Eaters. And I'm excited about it. You know why I'm excited about it, Stephen? Why? Because I already fucked this up once, and I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know when this is being released, or if Jesse um, just, or if we just missed a release date. Uh, but we had a true lost transmission the last time we tried to record this episode. So this is coming to you possibly from who knows when. The warp is fickle, and time is an illusion. It's true. But there is another reason that I'm excited for this. You know why? What's the other reason? Because we get to fanboy all about Latara Saren. It's true. It's true. And we will continuously in this episode. Yes. Uh, if you don't know who Latara Saren is, strap in. You'll find out soon enough. Yeah. Prepare to unfuck yourself. Yeah. Be filled with knowledge, but beware that not all knowledge brings joy. True story. Yep. So getting right into it, the World Eaters, a byword for unbridled carnage. The World Eaters are an unsubtle navy, crashing headlong into enemy lines and lashing out mercilessly at everything in range. Their Gloriana is the Conqueror. The World Leader's special rule is called Chariots of Slaughter. When lost to the nails, a boarding force beyond compare are the world leaders, and they seek only one thing, to close with the enemy and butcher them in close combat. Capital ships with Astarte's crew must take the Mark of corn for five points per vessel, which doubles their value in a boarding action. Additionally, carriers with this mark may elect to launch an additional D3 attack craft markers of any type if they are within 30 centimeters of an enemy vessel. If they do so, they must reload ordnance, and they may not launch in the next turn. Yeah, so that rule, I mean, the mark of corn, uh, is, as you probably guessed, just a straight from the original rule book. You could give things a mark of corn, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we thought very, very briefly, if I'm perfectly honest, about giving them something else because, like, they're not dedicated to corn at the start of the heresy. And, like, that's a whole different thing. We don't care. Because let's <laughs> face it, all they want to do is murder people. And they've been wanting to do that since before they were continually painted in red. Because uh, let's face it, that white and blue did not stay white and blue very long. Nope. Pretty much since the day Angron showed up for them. Yep. I mean, maybe even before that. Just. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, Chariots of Slaughter, the whole rule right there. We didn't write any of that. That's pulled directly out of the Powers of Chaos Uh rule supplement to Battlefleet Gothic. If you did a coronate fleet, your uh, your universal rule was chariots of slaughter. Um, and as the description initially said, uh, it's an unsubtle rule. You kind of have one thing in mind, uh, and that's to board the enemy, whether that is with your actual ship and a boarding action, or whether it's Dreadclaws, uh, Thunderhawks, Hell, if you're feeling froggy, you can just bomb them into their component atoms. Mm-hmm. An extra D3 attack craft markers of any type is... It doesn't sound like a lot, right? Um, but when you start counting up all the ways that you can lose deployment of ordnance, it really is helpful. Um, and it's not like a once-per-game thing or anything. As long as you're reloading ordnance and as long as you're within 30 centimeters, you can keep jumping in the Dreadclaws or Charybdi or whatever and just going for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it is real good, right? Because there are some ships, you know, like he, you're fighting a battleship. It's got four turrets. You've got four, you know, you've got a dictator. A dictator's carrier complement is generally enough, right? But against four turrets, you look at it and go, man nothing's going to get through, right? You either have to have like three fighters and one bomber to maybe get a decent number of attacks and everybody's Mm going to get shot down anyway. But if you can change that four to like six, right? Suddenly you're in a much better place or, you know, you're turning your sticks into a pocket emperor or your uh, strike cruiser all of a sudden can launch what five Thunderhawks. Yeah. Like, that's just real rude. <laughs> that's without taking any sort of, like, carrier upgrades or yeah. anything. And, I mean, you pay for it, right? Because you're committed to reloading ordnance your next turn uh, and then can't launch attack craft, right? Because the, the theory behind this is, you know, normally attack craft are launched and then the next wave is sort of brought up onto the ramps and they start fitting missiles and clamping down and getting ready to launch. And the world eaters, like, all those guys took off, too. And undoubtedly, there's a couple dozen hundred, like, flight crew that have been incinerated due to unsafe launch procedures. <laughs> so, like, not only do you have to go drag the ships that were, you know, the, the fighters and bombers that were at the back of the line, suddenly they're at the front of the line and screwing up your timing. <laughs> but uh, you got to go find some new flight crew from somewhere. Yeah. And Marines to get in the next ships, because uh, what do you mean Delvaris isn't on the bridge? Oh, just shoot him in the head. It's fine. It'll work out. The the Dreadnoughts are still there. The important people are hanging around. Can we oh. talk about Latara Sarah now? Is that what Not yet. Not yet. Not yet? Okay. Not yet. Okay. Soon. Soon, my friend. I know. Um, 
so yeah, like Austin said, the extra D3 can really allow you to put uh, enough attack craft onto a target that they'll get through the turrets, or maybe they'll do the extra damage statistically that you need to get a kill or to cripple a target. Um, but there's no limitation on using Chariots of Slaughter when it comes to being under special orders. All ahead full, brace for impact, uh, come the new heading, all of which half your total number of um, of weapons. Or if you're crippled, uh, that also halves your weapons. So you can use Chariots of Slaughter to keep your total level of attack craft more or less level with what it would be if you weren't decreasing your firepower for some reason. You know, that's not something I'd really thought about, but you're absolutely right. Like, there are times when, you know, you've done all, like, some crazy maneuver or you've been forced to brace and you've got attack craft ready to go and you're like, eh, but do I want to launch just for two? That's not going to get me anywhere. But uh, you're right. And you get that extra D3 and suddenly you're right back where you started and that's not so bad. Yep. Hit the big red button, turn on the nails, get Karn in a pod. Let's go. Do it. Yep. But we have we have talked about how they're unsubtle and you get close and you board people. But the great the other great thing about this rule is you don't have to, right? I mean, yeah, you're not getting a whole lot out of your life if you're playing world eaters and not boarding the hell out of people and you know, not bringing a couple carriers to benefit from chariots of slaughter. But I feel like it's not something you feel compelled to do, right? Yeah. Like some you of the only other... paid five points for the mark, and in Battlefleet Gothic, that's practically free. Yeah, like you're it it is free. Let's not screw around. Like you put it on twenty five points to put it on your five cruisers, that's nothing. You don't care. That's a rounding error. Yeah, it's a rounding error. Nobody minds. Yeah. And there are other special rules. <clears throat> Uh, like the ones that give you bonuses or automatically let you go on special certain special orders that you kind of feel like, oh, God, I got to do it. I got to do it. Like, to make my life right, I got to do it. Uh, yeah, if you're playing White Scars but not going all ahead full, what are yeah, you doing right? with your That's, life? You're just wasting your life. But uh, Chariots of Slaughter, yeah, maybe you want to play it cool for a couple of turns. That's fine. Yeah. And, and we realize that. encourages it. Yeah, we realize that playing it cool might not necessarily jive with you World Eater fans, but, you know, maybe you're playing Warhounds and <laughs> there's not a whole bunch of awful Archaeotech jammed in your skull yet. Or maybe Latara Saren has convinced them to chill the fuck out for five minutes because it'll be better off if they do. Yeah. Speaking of Lotara. You like how I segued into that? Yeah, we're, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll do it. I know you're excited. The Conqueror. Yes. Yeah. Now, when we were writing Gloriana rules, the Conqueror was immediately the first one that got finished and basically came to us out of thin air. No thought was necessary for like what to do with it, what its yep. special rules should be. It was there. Um, we saw a vision of corn on his bloody throne of skulls and lo, he handed a little piece of paper with these rules on it. Yep. The Conqueror is 455 points, and even though there is a picture of the Retribution in the book, um, that is not the battleship that it is based off of. Uh, this is the only Gloriana battleship that is based off of a template not found in an official um, Games Workshop publication, and for the life of me, I can't tell you why I did it that way. But I did, and here we are. Because Korn demanded it. 
because Korn demanded it. Satisfaction. He wants a broadside. And then he wants people to board. So here we go. It is a battleship with 12 hull points. It does have 20 centimeters of speed, 45 degree turn, four shields, um, five up armor with a six up prow. So pretty standard Imperial for turrets. Uh, it has 16 weapons batteries on its port and starboard side at 30 centimeters. It has three lances on its port and starboard side at 30 centimeters. And it has eight bombardment cannon on its prow, or on, not its prow, sorry, dorsal uh, location at 45 centimeters. So it's a pretty strong brawler. Um, mm, and you might be thinking, boss, those weapon ranges are kind of short for a Gloriana. Because, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of ships with maybe not identical levels of firepower, but 60 centimeter range, 45 centimeter range on everything. Mm-hmm. It's a sh- it's a very short range ship. It is true. Corn um, wants to see the light in their eyes go out. That's right. <laughs> or the blood come out of the neck or, you know, whatever, whatever grievous injury you've inflicted on them. You want to see a flash of light from 8 million miles away. Yeah. You want to be up nice and close when you watch them get turned into space gas. Um, Now, most Imperial battleships have torpedoes in the prow. The Conqueror doesn't. You know why? Because nobody runs from the Conqueror. Fire the Ursus Claws. Prow Ursus Claws, 45 centimeter range, firepower 7. Now, when I said that uh, the Conqueror came to us fully formed, just like Jesus coming out of the womb in certain uh, Abrahamic myths, this is, what, this is what came with the Conqueror, just immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. should, I just, should, do, should we talk about what Ursus Claws are first or go through the rules first? Yeah, so this might be a good time to to segue into the fluff of this whole thing. So, Mm -hmm. uh, the Ursus Claws, if I'm not mistaken, uh, owe their life to the Legio Audax, uh, which is the Titan Legion that was running around with the World Eaters for pretty much the entire Great Crusade, uh, or at least as long as Angron was also running around with the World Eaters. And they have Ursus Claws on their Warhounds. And what those are is they're little, like, harpoons, right? An arm weapon gets replaced with this harpoon that goes out, hits an enemy engine. Uh, There's some electromag shenanigans that go on. But the real joy of it is that they then use the Ursus Claw, which is, you know, attached via chain, cable, all that, to the Warhound to just drag other Titans to the ground, mm-hmm. uh, which is an engine kill, right? Titans don't stand back up. Yeah, it's true. So Once they, they're on the ground, they stay there. Yeah. So so they operate in packs, and there's great stories in the fluff about them doing it to, like, warlords and reavers and imperators and all sorts of stuff. Long story short, uh, Angron looked at this and decided it was good and decided that he wanted some and so mounted the Imperial Navy equivalent on his flagship. So instead of your standard 100-meter-long space torpedoes, the Conqueror fires, like, 200-meter-long giant-ass spikes, right? Which are attached to the Conqueror via chains that I don't really... 
Like, it's hard to wrap your head around how big, big. they are. They're just big. Yeah. Well, and long, too, right? Because they're going for fucking I mean, 45 yeah. centimeters. Yeah. They, uh, I think it's probably safe to say that the entire prow of the Conqueror is probably dedicated to the launching and retrieval assembly uh, of an Ursus Claw. And you know it's just 6,000 Algren with, like, a capstan to wind it back in. Yep. Uh, but anyway. Hauling on those chains. Yep. What so Algren f- do now? You pull, boy. <laughs> you pull like your life depended on it, for it surely does. Uh, so they fire these at enemy capital ships. Uh, and inside, more often than not, are piles of world eaters. That miles and piles of world eaters. That will jump out and just cause you to have a bad time. But that's not really what it's there for. What it's there for is, as Stephen said, no one runs from the conqueror. So it shoots these, and then the other ship can't get away, right? Because it's got a 200-meter massively barbed magnetic, all you know, it's flash-welded itself to the other ship, and it ain't going anywhere, because there isn't a ship in the galaxy that can, like, out-pull a Gloriana. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's not true technically, but, like, you're, you're not getting away. And then it just blows you to shit with everything else it has, right? Yep. Regardless of who's running rampaging through your decks. Yep. Because you know who gives no fucks about that? World eaters. World eaters. Well, one person in particular. She, in, throws, her, she throws men's lives like dice, but we'll get to she that. She does. We'll get there in just a second. Yes. Uh, so, so, for the rules, uh, Ursus Claws can be fired in the shooting phase as lances, right? So you now have seven shots, 45 centimeter range. They hit on a four up. A target struck by Ursus Claws immediately counts as having gone under Burn Retro special orders for the next turn, in addition to any damage caused by the, sh- caused by the claws. Shields do not work, right? Because... These are essentially torpedoes. And again, we didn't really think about it when we were writing it down because we got it as a vision from Corn. But you might be thinking, hey, if they're like torpedoes, then why can't the other ship just fire its turrets at them? And Because fuck you, that's why. No. Well, yes, but no. <laughs> uh, this is where the fun of uh, how things are designed works, right? So... A torpedo is a pretty delicate object, right? It's mostly hollow, filled with fuel. It's got explosive heads. It it doesn't take a whole lot to knock one off course, right? For the most part, when when your turrets hit a torpedo, you're not like detonating it way over there. You're just sort of, you know, making its guidance system not work. You're taking out a couple of thrusters. Something like that is happening. And you're just sort of batting it in the wrong direction, uh, and that's all it takes to miss because you're in space, and space is wide. An Ursus Claw, though, for the most part, is going to be solid, right? It's a dense pile of thing. Uh, It probably travels mostly on momentum. Yeah, right? Like, it it doesn't have, I wouldn't So good luck even tracking it. Yeah, like, it, it doesn't have a whole lot of, like, engine nastiness... Like it's not giving off a ton of signals because it's, you know, a big old bar that in the very center of it may or may not have some world eaters. 
uh, and it'll smack into you, and you have a bad time. But there's no, like, jet engine on the back, right? Uh, and it's kind of like the difference between trying to shoot down a cruise missile and trying to shoot down an artillery shell. If your artillery shell, like, you know those big World War One artillery shells are, like, the size of a Volkswagen? <laughs> right? The best kind, you mean? Yeah. Uh, you can hit that with, you know, something like another, like a little tiny, you know, one of those little interceptor missiles or uh, what do they call it? Not the Aegis, I, the little the little minigun that's on uh, ships to um, shoot down missiles. But, uh, like a, a Vulcan? Yeah, but it's uh, a SeaWiz. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I don't know. So yeah, so it's like a SeaWiz, right? SeaWiz is a turret. It shoots out a whole bunch of bullets real fast. And it shreds the very delicate missile or makes it miss and, you know, blows a wing off. And that's all she wrote. You fire a Sea Whiz at a two-ton artillery shell, you're still going to get hit by a two-ton artillery shell, right? There's just not enough mass. So that's essentially what an Ursus Claw is doing, right? <coughs> that's why there's no turret fire. And this is a just such a bad thing for your opponent because it's seven lance shots, right? They hit on fours. They ignore the shields. They do damage. Uh, and so as, a, as a side note, um, the reason we made them hit on fours instead of against armor, uh, like weapons batteries might, is because it's a giant harpoon. Like, they're, every time that these things are described as hitting another ship of some kind, or anything for that matter, it just, there's no getting around it. it it's a melt-a-cutter that goes right through armor, Um when they're first shown, they're used against Dark Eldar, and they one straight up tears a cruiser in half because it hits it so hard, and it's such a fragile target. Yeah, and the other thing you need to think of is that it doesn't matter a whole lot whether it penetrates the armor fully or not, right? If you've got, you know, that 10-meter-thick armor prow of an Imperial warship, and this thing only penetrates, like, 8 meters, well, good luck, what are you going to do? Are you going to cut through <laughs> like two or three meters of your own ship to like try and pry it out? No, you've congratulations. You've been Ursus clawed. Prepare to yep. have a bad day. Here's your medal. Free therapy <laughs> is available for it, those who survive. We will be awarded posthumously. Yes. Pin it right on your corpse. So there's one more fun thing about this. So you've been hit and then you go burn retros, right? Uh, this is bad for a lot of reasons. Uh, the first one, obviously, is that suddenly all of your weapons' batteries are halved. You know, all your shooting is halved. It's a bad time. Uh, and then you're slow, right? Uh, and this really does double duty. You're slow because, obviously, you're not running from the Conqueror, right? Uh, the extra turning is probably because, you know, you might be able to kind of use the inertia of the, claw, the claws, spin around a little bit more. Whatever. Um, but your crew is going to be going batshit insane, right? Maybe some word bearers have popped out. They're not Oops. a strike team, right? They're not going to be causing critical hits. They're just going to be reaving their way through whatever crew they happen to find, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, ships are big. That's not really an important factor. Um. But the other thing they're doing is trying desperately to figure out how the hell to get these off our ship. You know, hey, 
transfer power to the engines, right? Because burn retros isn't we're applying our engine power to like the forward thrusters to go backwards. That may well be, hey, we've got all the head full going and it just isn't getting us anywhere. Uh, so there's a lot of kind of fluff reasons to make the enemy ship go on burn retros. But then the fact that it can't do other orders, right, just from a gameplay perspective, is brutal. Because yeah, everybody is gearing up to repel borders or dying at the hands of borders. Yeah. Speaking of borders, uh, if the Conqueror initiates a boarding action against a ship that has been struck by the claws, it gains a plus five bonus in addition to all the other modifiers. Uh, and we're going to talk about boarding actions here in a bit. Uh, we've been saving them just for this episode. It's but true. A plus five bonus. That's nuts. Is um, more than all the other bonuses from the original rules put together. Yes, this is your I win boarding action button. Yeah. It's and it's really bad good. enough that your opponent is already... Like, if you are being boarded by the Conqueror, right, it's bad enough already that it's the Conqueror. It's a Gloriana. Um, <laughs> yeah. But now there's also Ursus Claws involved. And like, you... if you got boarded even without getting struck by Ursus Claws, you're about to have a bad time. Yeah. This is just icing on the cake. You're dead. Uh, and then, for, for extra fun, so you've been hit by the Ursus Claws. Now what? Well, before you die... Every turn after you've been struck, after that first time, uh, the ship must pass a leadership test or continue to be under the burn retros order. So essentially, you need to like pass a leadership check to represent your crew, you know, putting on their Mark Zero Terminator armor, jumping outside and like pickaxing these things off of you or whatever you, I don't know. Take a melter yeah. to it. If you've ever wondered what a Saturnine Laz cutter is for, it's for cutting Ursus claws out of your ship. That's a true story. Yeah. Get out your Laz cutters, boys. We're doing it. Yep. Uh, and of course, the Conqueror may elect to voluntarily detach the claws. Because, uh, hey, it might have other things to do. Yeah. You know, you never know. Um, now, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good stuff, right, to get in uh, after the Conqueror. But guess what? We're not done with the Conqueror yet. So just like every Gloriana, the Conqueror has a quote-unquote narrative profile. And um, it's actually probably my favorite narrative Gloriana because the Conquerors, those the rules that we wrote for them interact with the Conqueror in such a way that just makes it a lot of fun and really versatile. So 24 hull points, Gloriana. Still keeps the same speed, keeps the same turrets, or not uh, turrets, turns, Goes up to eight shields, haha, <laughs> auspicious number. Uh, keeps the same armor value, five up, six up front, and seven turrets. It goes to 36 weapons batteries on its port and starboard, nine lances on its port and starboard, still 30 centimeters. Goes up to 20 bombardment cannon on the um, dorsal spine, and 12 Ursus Claws. So right off the bat, the Ursus Claws can just straight up annihilate a battleship if you roll really, really well. I mean, and they'll take out a cruiser without rolling really, really well, right? Like, yeah. Lock on. All right, six hits, six miss. Reroll misses, three more hits. Oh, that, that's nine. Oops. It ignores your shields, brah. Yep. Catastrophic damage, I guess. Yep. You asked for this, listeners. Mm-hmm. You, asked yeah. us to. you You did this to yourself. 
So there's a couple of um, a couple of the narrative rules apply to the Gloriana, like I said, in a fun way. Um, one of my favorite ones is fleet killers, and we may have talked about some of these before. Um, it, we've talked, we've done enough now that I can't remember. Uh, but fleet killers, Gloriana battleships host firepower surpassing even the strength of amassed warships and can met out murderous damage with surgical precision. So a Gloriana automatically passes all command checks to separate its firepower against multiple targets. And it gains a left shift on the gunnery table before any other modifiers are applied. So the left shift doesn't do a whole lot in this uh, situation, at least not any more than it does for any other ship. Um, but the separating its firepower, we may have mentioned before, um, most ships can divide their, well, all ships can divide their firepower um, with a successful command check. Now they don't, they fire different weapon systems at different targets. So like a Gothic with its um, two lances, six weapons batteries could pass the command check That's and a fire lunar. a lunar. Yeah. I can never remember. I'm a chaos player <laughs> can fire its weapons batteries at one target, its lances at another target. Um, the conqueror can do the same thing, but importantly, it applies to the Ursus clause, which you have 12 of. And now it, the conqueror is unique in this can divide that one weapon system across multiple targets because it doesn't necessarily fire like it doesn't fire like a lance in that it's firing at a single point right it fires more like a shotgun of harpoons because it's hard to see things in space and even harder when you know it's 45 centimeters away well the equivalent, the uh, the scaled equivalent of forty five centimeters, so the conqueror just kind of blasts out claws in a general area where they know the ship will be, and statistically, a couple of them are going to hit, and really only a couple of them need to hit. Mm -hmm. So you can divide up that uh, <clears throat> that um, those Ursus claws to hit multiple targets at once, as long as they're all in your front arc. Maybe you see a nice little squadron of cruisers or light cruisers that you just want to ruin, right? So you take six claws, you shoot at one, you take six claws, you shoot at another, bam, you hit both of them, bam, they're both on burn retros. Reel them in. Yep. And there's another fun Gloriana rule that I, I'm, again, 90% sure we've talked about, but uh, is real good for the Conqueror, because you remember, you can elect to launch another D3 attack markers if you're within 30 centimeters, but the Conqueror has no launch bays. Oh, no. If you're using the narrative Glorianas, they get a special rule called carrier capacity, um, which is basically to represent that these things are so atrociously large that even the ones that aren't really built to be carriers, just their standard, like, loadout is a carrier. Right. Like they just have the capacity. They're the flagship of the Legion. Even, you know, like the equivalent of a dictator or lunars like area where supply ships come in and like drop stuff off or like all those little Arvis are hanging out on a Gloriana that's full of Storm Eagles and Thunderhawks. Mm -hmm. uh, so all Glorianas without launch bays have port and starboard launch bays that could launch up to six squadrons of Thunderhawks or Thunderhawk Annihilators in addition to their normal armaments. And then you do that and, you know, hey, look, 
you can go ahead and get that extra D3 attack craft markers, and it's exciting. Yep. And one of those uh, attack craft markers can carry Angron. Like, he can just hop in there and go nuts. Uh, because once per game, any hit and run attack launched from a Gloriana can be nominated as carrying the Primarch and his bodyguard. This can be a teleport attack or a single assault boat. If the attack is successful, the stricken ship in question will automatically suffer bridge-smashed critical damage. If the attacking wave is destroyed, there is no penalty. It is assumed that the proper measures were taken to keep the Primarch safe, insofar as anyone cares if Angron is safe. Yes, and it doesn't matter at all for the 12th Legion in the Void whether Angron is safe or not, because he, as I'm sure you probably suspected, isn't the brains of the operation. Yeah. You know who is, though? Ooh, ooh. Who is it, Steven? I'll give you a guess, and the first one doesn't count if you get it wrong. Is it Latara Saren? It is Latara Saren. Yay! A woman who is described as aggressive, even by world eater standards. Yes. Karn described her as aggressive. Yeah. Karn. Um, Latara Saren uh, is probably the best mortal character ever. In the Horus Heresy books. I object to your use of the word probably. Mm, fair. She is. She's the best. Um, there's no one cooler. Poor little, even though Katsuhiro is an angel, he is a blubbering baby. And Lotara Saren is fucking awesome. She is. She's essentially the patron saint of this podcast. Yes. <clears throat> we love Lotara. Uh, we've basically waited, I don't know, this is what, episode 15 or 16? Are we in the 20s yet? I don't know. Uh, who knows? Um, Time is a Yes. Reason. Numbers are fake. We have waited the entire series to do the World Eater episode. Like, we had we had considered just going completely out of order with the Legions just so we could do World Leaders first because we like them. Well, we like Lotara. We like Lotara. Um, yeah, I but don't think we, either of us are real World Leaders fanboys. Nope. No. No, not not super. I mean, I, I like them a lot, but... Like they're, they're not bad for a traitor legion, but God, Latara Saren. All right, yes. so Latara uh, is the youngest, I think, youngest captain in the Imperial Navy, and certainly the youngest, so. the youngest person to ever get on a Conqueror. How old was she when she took over the Conqueror? 30, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. let's put that in perspective, and we'll do it two ways. The first is... Who's a captain at 30 in the real world? Uh, Not in me. The, in the U.S. Navy, nobody. Right? You're, let's see, you spend uh, two and then four. That's, 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 uh, you're a lieutenant? If you're lucky. If you're good. Well, not if you're lucky or good. Like, the first couple are just sort of automatic as long as you're not bad. Oh, well, there you go. But you're a lieutenant. You're about three steps removed from a captain uh, at 30. And there's just zero ways you can improve on that. Even if a bunch of other people die. Yeah, like it, you would need some like World War II level, probably more than that, uh, to be captain of anything important, right? Because again, this is a Gloriana. This is the equivalent of like, you know, the Gerald Ford, like the nuclear aircraft carrier in the United States Navy, or like a battleship in World War II, right? You don't... It's a big deal. You can be a captain. This isn't your first one, right? The guys that are in charge of the big ships uh, in the U.S. Navy, like they're called captain because that's the title for someone who's in charge of their own ship. 
but really they're they're admirals of some sort or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how you progress uh, in the wet navies of today. That's so much harder in the grim darkness of the far future because you have juvenile treatments, right? Uh-huh. Like, there are people that will live literally for centuries. Yeah. The rogue trader at the beginning of this episode said five times the lifespan of a man, which is probably an imperial man, which is at least 100. Yeah. Like, he's probably been doing this for, you know, even real, like, conservatively 400 years. So you got guys that can run around. And, like, if you're a captain at... You know, in your 200th year and you've got 200 more years to go and you're on your ship, like nobody can can move up. Right. You've got that ship until you drop dead or get promoted. And so does everybody in front of you. So like even being on the bridge as an officer at 30 would be a crazy like, oh, my God, they're so good at this. She's in charge of the Gloriana. She's Which is, flag captain of the Legion. Yeah, she's flag captain of the Legion. And on top of that, just because, you know, world eaters are world eaters, she's also the lady in charge of essentially the Legion. Like, not in the sense of, like, she says where they go and what they do, but in the parts that matter, right? In the logistics of the thing. In figuring out, you know, how to get more ships into the fleet. How is the fleet going to f- operate? as a unit in battle, you know, how to get more crew and replacement stuff and all the sort of really boring things that we as war gamers, you know, we don't game out logistics, but that's what wins wars. Uh, and she's doing it. Not only is she doing it, she's amazing. She, yeah, she does it well. <laughs> and not only does she do her job well, but like Steven says, the world eaters love her right and this is a legion that doesn't give two shits about logistics right as long as the as long as the chain axes run they don't care yeah essentially it's you know what if all the jocks on the football team looked over at the nerd in like the math club and were like my god (laughs) this is the best person ever like you are amazing and we love you yeah and she's not even doing their homework yeah, she's just she's just doing her job. Yeah. And like despite no actual balls, has the biggest pair in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steven, why does she have the biggest pair in the galaxy? She shot Delvaris in the head and sent him to his room without <laughs> dinner. <laughs> she absolutely did. For those people that don't know who the world eaters are, uh, who is Delvaris, Steven? Delvaris is captain of the first Triari, uh, of which there are three. And the Triari are the, I don't know if they're company strength, um, but there's a lot of them. But their job is to protect the Conqueror from borders. Like, they are the armsmen of the Conqueror. Um, yeah, they're, they're specialist, like, breacher, zone mortality kind of guys fighting on spaceships. And Delvaris is the baddest motherfucker in the Triari. He's the boss yeah. of the Triari. He is so good at reducing people to smears of wet grease 
that in the gladiatorial arenas that the world leaders fight in when they're not fighting, you know, unfortunate souls, uh, Delvaris is undefeated. He's crazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he's in full Terminator armor when it happens. Yeah. Uh, and he's wearing cataphracty. During the Shadow Crusade, during the Battle of Armatura, Delvaris gets bored uh, being on the Conqueror while everyone else is down on the planet getting their shit rocked by Ultramarines. True. So he goes down, he takes his Triari, he goes down to the planet, and he goes and joins in on the fun. Well, meanwhile, the Ultramarines board the Conqueror, which is a really sad... Uh, it's not a good idea, right? Like, they they made a mistake. But the fact that Delvaris takes all of his men and aren't there is a problem. Uh, Lotara and a whole comp- uh, contingent, the entire contingent, I believe, of the Conqueror's Dreadnoughts have to defend the ship against what equates to probably a company or two of Ultramarines. Yeah. yeah. And they fight him off, but Lotara is pissed he's real angry like, she is not happy it took and again this is a woman that the world leaders standard, consider aggressive bog standard human she's got yeah. nothing right she's 30 she shouldn't even think juvenile treatments yet yeah uh, and she's pissed off right because yes the dreadnoughts woke up and eventually handled the problem but it took a lot longer than it should have a lot of stuff got damaged a lot more crew got killed than should have and not that she's super sentimental about like the lives of her crew she doesn't throw them away and is totally uncaring but like you didn't But they're care. trained they're trained personnel yeah they're they're trained people right they're hard to replace uh possibly even impossible at this point cuz you know the heresy's underway on. it's not like yeah. there's a Horace Looper Call Naval Academy that's operating. Uh, and Tavares comes back and comes onto the bridge. And the first thing Latara Saren does is draw her sidearm and shoot him in the head. Yep. It doesn't kill him, mind you, because he's a space marine. It's just a las pistol. Like she, you know. Yeah. She basically gives him a bad acne scar. But, but she makes then, her point. The best thing about it is, so she shoots him in the head. And maybe we can explain that away. Like, oh, you know, she's really pissed off. Maybe she had a bit of a death wits. She shot a Praetor and Terminator armor in the head with the last pistol. Sure. But then she begins to berate him. <laughs> and just lights into him. Just with all of the, like, contempt and anger of just anyone you could possibly imagine. Yeah, you ever been chewed out by your mom? Like, ratchet it up to 11. Yeah, ratchet that up to 11. Like, you had a shitty boss, and you've done a shitty job and just lit into you. This isn't like the disappointed, oh, you know, you really should have done better. No, this is, you are garbage, and I can prove it with math. (laughs) Sit down while I show you. So she lights into him and then says... Go to your quarters. You are confined there. And Delvaris, again, praetor of the world eaters, in command of one of the prestige close quarters units of a legion known for being close combat monsters and having zero self-control, says, okay, and does it. Actually, he (laughs) says, I recognize my failing 
And we'll it what it and we'll take steps to correct it. And we'll be sure to correct it. Yes, yeah. we'll be sure to correct it. <laughs> and then he leaves and goes to his room. And that's that's just how awesome she is. That he doesn't talk back. He doesn't, you know, punch her head off like the lion did to that one poor guy. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, brought that up. He's just like, oh, oh, I did fuck up. Yeah, I'm gonna go she to will my ta- room and rethink my life. She she talks back to everybody. She refers to the conqueror as her ship to Angron's face. <laughs> Angron well, not to his face to the Actually, holographic to projection too, yeah. of his face. Uh, yeah, when they're on Armatura, and there's a lot of atmospheric interference, and you know the nails, and she can't get a hold of anybody when she's trying to like figure out where the hell Delvaris has gone, and finally she gets a hold of. Uh, friggin angron and angron goes what what's going on with my ship and latar's like no, my ship is fine my ship is fine like no thanks to delvaris i'm gonna shoot him in the head when he gets back yeah a big shout out to all our patrons in the month of august starting with our praetor tier alex Selth, chris mack joe from music city heresy gardner.tree of woe matthew boyce jacob dylan mr baldwick and nicholas quanga our Centurion tier, Mark Henry, John Christensen, Angry Boy, Black Label Painting, Andrew N., Scott LeMay, Minis by Applesauce, M. Tanzer, and Queen Corswain. And finally, our Sergeant tier, Emily O'Hare, Duncan, Travis Smith, Garrett Lowe, Aaron Maynard, and Nicholas Gillen. Thank you for your patronage. And if you enjoy our programs and want to become a patron, go over to patreon.com forward slash rr30kpodcast and join today. Thank you. Yes, even Karn. The yet to be betrayer is like, yep, Lotara is my buddy. Don't, don't fuck with her, cause she'll mess you up. And if she doesn't, I'm gonna have to, and I don't want to have to do that. Nobody wants to have to do that. But yeah. then, and the best thing is, so as the heresy proceeds, uh, the conqueror, being the flagship of, of a uh, demon primarch, a demon primarch, begins to act a little weird, and begins to go a little chaosy. Yep. Uh, so Dex we have, turning into flesh, water turning into blood. You know. Yeah, the the usual, right? And as we all know, things like a sh- like ships have machine spirits, and when those get corrupted, like the Conqueror, a Gloriana, has the biggest and nastiest machine spirit probably in the Imperium, right? Just because of its size and it's built to be angry. So when a demon takes hold, it's it's like a comparably powerful demon, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even like your run-of-the-mill bloodthirster that's in charge of this thing. It's like somebody from the Octed is probably running around uh, in the Conqueror's soul. And it wants to make Latara happy. Uh, no. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Rose Watered in Blood is a wild ride. Spoilers. Yeah, I, there I'll, are spoilers coming. Yeah, we're, well, well, we'll not get into the details. Uh, because A Rose Watered in Blood is a beautiful short story. Um, and I won't say that Latara is particularly thrilled by the ways the Conqueror tries to make her happy. Because, again, she's just a normal person. Uh, even at this point. And the Conqueror now has decks made of flesh. Um, but, yeah, it's not only, like, Karn and Angron and everybody else that tries to stay on Latara's good side. It's a literal bloodthirster of corn uh because she's amazing she is she uh she's crazy so which begs the question 
how do you represent people like Lotara in the rules? Well, here's one we haven't talked about yet, and we haven't talked about it because, again, we saved it specifically for this episode. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's called Peerless Bridge Crew. A Gloriana is the lodestone for the Legion's best and brightest officers. Oftentimes, a Gloriana's junior officer will take the post over captaincy of a lesser vessel. A Gloriana automatically passes its first order of the turn, and it may attempt a second order at a negative one leadership penalty. Now, bear in mind, they are always flat 10, so leadership 9. If successful, any duplicate negatives from orders do not stack. Legions that automatically pass an order must use the relevant order first. So, like, if you're playing White Scars and you use your first order uh, as all ahead full, you automatically pass it. The next one you take at negative one. Mm-hmm. So, again, with the Conqueror, you can lock on, fire the Ursus Claws, while also reloading your ordnance because you chariots have slaughtered your way straight into the heart of the enemy. Right. and uh, Or you can get real crazy, because unlike... <clears throat> every other battleship I can think of, uh, Conquer or Glorianas don't have penalties about come to a new heading or all ahead full or burn retros. They can do the whole gamut, right? A normal Imperial battleship can't come to a new heading. Too big. Got too much going on. Mm-hmm. Like the, the drives can't take it. These can. Uh, and you get rid of duplicate negatives, right? So... You can brace for impact, say. All right, your weapons and all that are halved. Well, I also want to come to a new heading. Your weapons and armor, theoretically, would be halved, or weapons and turrets turrets would be halved again. Um, Not the case. Anything that halves anything only occurs once, uh, no matter what sort of orders you're on. Um, But they don't counteract each other right so like lock on you can't turn come to a new heading does you no good because you're prevented from turning by lock on um yeah. but really what it's built for is that you can do things like lock on and reload ordinance or you know brace and lock on or those sorts of things and uh, you can't deny it's real good yeah it allows you to do some uh do some fancy shenanigans that your opponent might not have expected although Really, if your opponent is playing against you and you're using a narrative Gloriana, shenanigans should be expected because they are made of 80% shenanigans. It's true. Uh, and like Steven said, normally this rule is to represent the fact that everyone on that bridge is the very best of the best. Uh, but for the world leaders, like they run through bridge crew, they're getting like chain axed and randomly assassinated and all sorts of stuff. I can't imagine that by like the middle of the heresy, their bridge crew is really better than anybody else. Uh, but they have Latara Saren and that counts for a great deal. Yeah. Yep. I would rather have one Lotara Saren than any other Admiral in any other publication. Yep. Nelson can suck it. Yep. He can. Honor Harrington. God Rester can suck it. Ravensburg can suck it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy in Execution Hour, whose name I suddenly can't remember. Alexis Pollux can suck it. Yep, especially Alexis Pollux. Especially him. 
Even Perturabo can suck it. Perturabo doesn't enter into it. He lost to a regular Marine. No, poor Perturabo. And he'd lose to Latara Saren, that's for damn sure. He would. Can prove it with math, and probably, you know what? We could prove it with an actual game. (laughs) Harumph. Uh, But speaking of math. Yes. So we have mentioned boarding actions several times, but we've never actually talked about what it is. Um, So if you look on page 34 of your basic blue book, you find advanced rules for the end phase. And in big friendly letters, it says boarding actions. Now, boarding actions are distinctly different from a hit and run attack. A hit and run attack, you know, 20 Marines pile into an assault claw or a Thunderhawk or whatever. They get in. Teleport pad. They do whatever damage they they can. And if they're lucky, they get out. Boarding action is everyone. Every Marine on that ship is maglocking the bolts to his thigh. Every armsman is getting his shot cannon ready. Everybody is getting ready to fight. Um, so instead of, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 squads of Marines going in and doing stuff, it's 500, 700, 900, 1,000 Marines. Again, the Triari, which I believe are company strength, uh, are specifically boarding well, specialists. If, if they're like the Triari of old, they'll be half the size of a regular World Eaters company. Well, who knows? Math yeah. is fake, and numbers are basically made up. I mean, there's three of them, so that's at least a company and a half, right? Yes. Um, yeah, and boarding actions also aren't quite what you think they are. Because um, I know in your head right now, you're like picturing Master and Commander, but in space, where you know, you've got the grappling hooks, and everybody's swinging across on ropes, and jumping from one ship to the other. Uh, not entirely true because space is big, right? Wide, you might say. Indeed. Uh, and this also answers a question that at least I had for quite a while about the design of all the ships in this fucking universe. Because you have guns on the right, guns on the left. If you've got a big enough engine, you know, you've got guns on top, uh, but no guns on bottom. And that always struck me as real dumb because space, you know, up and down don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. You're fighting in all the dimensions. Uh, Or if you're just like, if you're orbiting a planet, right, they always show like the belly is towards the planet. And I'm like, that's dumb because there are no guns there. Doesn't make a damn bit of sense. Well, God bless uh, execution hour because that and shadow point. Uh, the two Battlefleet Gothic books of yore that I've been, I may have emailed GW a time or two asking for a reprint, um, talk, describe a boarding action uh, when the the HMS Solar Macari- or HDMS Solar Macarius uh, is boarded by a Chaos cruiser. And what the cruiser does is it comes up, you know, it comes at him like normal. And gets into visual range where you can actually, like, not a point of light, but can actually, like, see the the ship, ship, see the ship. Yeah. And then it rolls and presents its underbelly uh, to the Macarius. And that's where all the boarding shit comes from. And it's, like, boarding pods and little, like, lighter shuttles and, like, literally dudes with, like, 
jetpack sets of armor yeah yeah just like flinging themselves across the intervening you know hundred miles or whatever it is ten miles who knows uh so yeah that's why there are no guns on the bottom because that's where all apparently uh the boarding craft and whatnots are and that also suddenly makes sense when all these planetary assault you know pictures and paintings and drawings that we see of the ships with their bellies towards the planet well that's because all of the shit they would like pump out to go to the planet like that's where it comes from so it makes sense mm-hmm. uh, but yeah boarding actions in the game so even though the rule the actual fight happens in the end phase uh you have to declare that you're doing a boarding action in the movement phase so what happens is if you're going to a Attempt to board an enemy ship, you can't fire or launch ordnance in the same turn because, you know, your crew is getting their boarding pikes and shot cannons ready. They don't have time for it. So you and all you have to do is be in base to base with an enemy ship, which, remember, is still, you know, technically quite a ways apart. But you get in base to base and, you know, your ship does that belly up maneuver and suddenly you're launching a thousand space marines and five or six thousand other dudes into the dark void at the enemy ship. Then what happens? Now you roll a d6. Now you roll off. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of simple for something as like uh, supposedly complicated and complex as a boarding action. And you're right. That's why there's modifiers. It's true. So we're going to walk you through this. Uh, and because fate determined it, we're going to have a World Eaters strike cruiser up against the White Scars Slaughter Class Cruiser Batar, uh, straight from their sample fleet list on page 26. Mm -hmm. Uh, Against the hateful tenacity, the World Eaters strike cruiser. Yep. Uh, So you can imagine it, right? the Batar on all ahead full to get close with the rest of its uh, White Scars buddies got a little too excited, got way out in front of everybody else, and the World Eater Strike Cruiser has decided to jump on it. Mm-hmm. So the modifiers apply to both parties. Um, in this particular instance, we're just going to speak as if the, uh, the Strike Cruiser has gotten the best case scenario on the slaughter, um, just so we can make it as simple as possible, because there is a little bit of brain work involved. So, yeah, we did the math beforehand, and we still might fuck it up. You, being the strike cruiser, gets plus one to your d6 roll if the enemy ship, being the slaughter, has blast markers in contact with it. It does not. If the enemy ship is crippled, you get plus two. Nope. Brand new. If the enemy ship is on special orders, you get plus one. And it is, because it went on all ahead full to get in this terrible position. Mm-hmm. If you are orcs or chaos. Now, pause. There's no such thing as chaos space marines yet, as of this, as of this moment. Um, I mean, there are, right? But there's not so many that, um, that they're a whole distinct class. And originally, orcs or rather, originally, chaos kind of getting a plus one modifier was to represent that they're, the ships are just filled with heretics, zealots, 
Um, yeah. Who would they just want to kill you for yeah. the glory of the gods? Like some of those little assault boats that are hitting your ship are just filled with spawn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then orcs are naturally big and scary and really good at crumping stuff. Yep. Yep. So for the purpose of Battlefleet Heresy, only orcs get a plus one. Now, if you're playing, if you and your buddies are doing narrative stuff and you're playing late heresy and you think, well, at this yeah, point, take it into the scouring. Yeah, you take it into the scouring. You're like, well, my Marines are, you know, whatever. Or my traitor Imperial Army ship is whatever. You can do that plus one. Yeah, um, don't let us kind of. Yeah, but kind of, you know, make sure that everybody's on board with it. Yeah. If you're running at one of our events, chaos isn't a thing. Correct. Space so, Marines. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, Space Marines get a plus two. Uh, and now for another note. So in the uh, in the very beginning of the Red Book, we have under special rules legions in the void, um, and the third or the second part of that rule states that any ship with an Astartes crew constitutes as an Astartes ship. Any ship drawn from the Space Marine fleet list, Battle Barge, Strike Cruiser, Novus, Hunter, Gladius, are assumed to already have Astartes crewmen aboard, although they must still pay twenty points for Terminators. As they are custom-built and equipped for Space Marines, those specific ships confer a plus two bonus to boarding actions, uh, plus three bonus for Terminators. This is not in addition to the plus two depicted here on the boarding modifiers table. Um, What appears in the Red Book is essentially a reprint of that particular modifier um, because that rule, that modifier, is built into the point cost of battle barges and strike cruisers. Yeah. Um, so. so if you are in a strike cruiser or a battle barge, you don't get plus four. You just get plus two because you're space marines. But you didn't have to pay extra for it. But you didn't have to pay extra. Which right? is exciting. So boarding value is higher than the enemy ship. You get plus one. If it is twice the enemy ships, you get plus two. If it is three times, you get plus three. And if it is four or higher, you get plus four. Um, now, you only apply whichever of those is the highest. So if you somehow manage to get, you know, plus three, you don't also get the plus two and the plus one. And now we have to pause again to talk about boarding value. Um, and here's again where the math starts to get, well, yeah, this is math-y. This is definitely the part that trips people up uh, when they're doing this sort of math. So you're or when you're doing boarding. So boarding value is equal to the number of damage points a ship has remaining. So in our particular scenario, everybody is perfectly at full health because the math is hard enough already. Mm -hmm. Um, But if your ship had already taken two or three points of damage, you know, your dictator takes two points of damage, it would have a boarding value of six. And then the ship being boarded also adds its number of remaining turrets. Um. And what that means is if you're on like a special order or something that has your turret value or whatever, that doesn't affect this. But if you're crippled and that has your turret value, that would count it, right? So our Batar slaughter class cruiser has eight hull points and it's being boarded. So it's two turrets tack on. It's at 10. That's its boarding value. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Hateful Tenacity is a slaughter class or slaughter strike cruiser with six hull points. Now you're thinking, 
Well, six, that's not as good as 10. Ha ha ha, and you're right. The good news is it also has the mark of corn because it's in a Stardust ship. So right off the bat, its boarding value is 12. It's like getting a, it's like getting boarded by a battleship. Which is awesome. Uh, yeah, which is great. So that doesn't give it any additional, um, I mean, sorry, just the, uh, just the mark of corn takes it up to 12. Its boarding value is higher than the batars. So it gets a plus one to the boarding modifier. Um, the modifier, not the results. Yes. So boarding modifier and boarding value are two separate things and boarding value only adds a boarding modifier. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, to sum up where we're at right now, the Batar has no blast markers. The enemy's not on special orders. It is a space marine ship, so it is getting plus two to the results that we're going to get to here in a moment. Yes, the uh, hateful tenacity has plus two for having space marines. We're going to be extra rude and give it terminators, so it gets a plus three. Mm-hmm. And its boarding value is higher than the enemy's, so it gets an additional plus one. And then that enemy ship is on special orders, plus five. So, yep, so that's another one. So its total modifier to the boarding action roll, that d6 roll, is a five. Meanwhile, the Batar has a two. Two. So it's looking real dicey for the Batar right off the bat. Uh, say Austin and I roll, and we both roll a six. I've got a die right here. We can do it. Oh, well, shit. I don't... Mine are in another room. All right, uh, well, fine then. Yeah, say we... You can just pick whatever number you want, and I'll roll a die. Um, four. I rolled a six. <laughs> well. It, this is actually instructive, though. We'll keep it. Yes. Um, so. So. Austin rolls the the six. He adds the plus two. He has eight. I roll a four. I add a plus five. I have nine. Yep. Now we get to the results table. So the first thing that happens is for every point a ship lost combat by, you take a point of damage. So the Batar, right off the bat, takes a point of damage. Uh, This can cause critical hits just like normal because it's just damage that's happening. But in addition, there's also a chance that each ship could suffer a critical hit. Uh, And this represents, you know, counterboarding or maybe like, hey, we jettisoned, you know, they had to jettison that frickin' plasma macro cannon into space because we'd done a bunch of rude things to it. And that just hit our cruiser. Not great. Uh, Or, you know, whatever's happening around. Uh And so you look down and there's a little table there on page 34. Uh, The difference in score is only one. So this would count as a stalemate. So we would both inflict critical hits on each other uh, on a five up. Uh, And then if the difference in scores is two, uh, the winner inflicts on fours, the enemy on fives. On a three, it inflicts on three, the enemy on sixes. On four, attackers do it on a two up. Defenders do it on a six. Anything more than that, the loser takes an automatic critical hit, uh, and the winner just can't suffer a critical hit. Yeah. So when you stack up your boarding modifiers, like the world leaders can and should, 
Uh, once you get up there, even if you don't roll fantastic on that d6, you can still have a considerable advantage yeah, over your again, opponent. That was literally the best the Batar could do under the circumstances. Like, mm -hmm. I rolled a natural six. If that becomes, I did it again, it's a two. <laughs> I've taken five points of damage, each of which can cause a critical hit. And uh, I suffer an automatic critical hit just for showing up. So, yep. like, that's it's a bad time. Yeah. So, like, and that could be, you know, any of the gamut, right? I just rolled a friggin' 10. That's not good. Like, problems occur, right? And this is a strike cruiser. You're not yeah. even doing it right. I mean, strike cruisers are great for this, specifically for world eaters, uh, because they are fast, they're heavily armored, so they can, like, run and go do this to enemy cruisers. Um, but, you know, maybe you put all this on a slaughter, right? That's mm -hmm. going real fast. That's fairly yeah. maneuverable. Cause somebody a real bad time. Yep. And God forbid you try to, God forbid you get boarded by a battleship. You're going to have a real hard time. And really, yep. like, as someone who plays, like, not World Eaters ever, um, but has played a lot of Battlefleet Gothic, I cannot tell you how just unsettling it is for a strike cruiser to be able to beat a perfectly fine cruiser in a boarding action. Uh, it just shouldn't happen, right? Because it just shouldn't. And yet, and yet, here we are. It's impossible to not. Yeah. <laughs> if you... and this is originally this is what Space Marines were built for when the list first came out. It was for hopping on other people's ships and punching them in the dick. Yep. Uh, so you might say that's all well and good, uh, but what happens if that strike cruiser gets way out of its league and boards a battleship and manages to tie combat? Well, in the case of a tied combat, that's when the ships actually start like grappling together right mm -hmm. so this normal boarding action that we just went through next turn the batar can run away right or the strike cruiser can just leave like they're not forced to stay there but in the event of a draw the ships grapple together and continue fighting in each subsequent end phase so each player's end phase you're going twice a game turn mm -hmm. neither ship may move shoot or launch ordnance until the boarding action results in one of the ships being reduced to zero damage you're in it to win it uh death yeah. or glory because now you've got crews on both ships from both ships just desperately trying to kill everything that they see either to fight their way out or to spike an engine or something. Yeah, slaughter all the bridge crew, take control yeah. of environmentals, anything you can think of. And honestly, like, this is one of the great things about uh, Execution Hour. There's a great moment um, where the Lord Solar Macarius is sent to go stop a, uh, a Dauntless that has turned traitor. And it's got some sort of, like, important, like, intel on it that they've got to run down uh so instead of destroying it they decide to board and it actually shows you the boarding action and it's just insane because to go all the way back to that like master and commander that's not really what this is doing once you're actually on the ship that's exactly what's doing 
that scene of like 60 dudes all pressed so tightly together they can't really swing their arms and they just have like boarding pikes. Yep. Imagine that, but in hallways. Yeah. I will read you a little excerpt out of the Red Book. You think you know war, dirt ciders? Ha! I've seen plasma roll through half a deck in the time it takes to blink and take 2,000 souls with it. I've seen a pinprick of light a million kilometers away that was the death of 180,000 men who were bent on killing me a moment before. I've been in crush fights where men were fighting each other with pikes and wrenches and bare teeth until they died of asphyxiation because the scrubbers were drowned in blood. I've seen a hundred men happy at mess one second and sucked screaming out of a hull breach into the void the next. You dirt siders know war under an open sky, but I know war in a metal box full of the worst deaths you can imagine. But you'll learn, dirt siders, you'll learn. Those of you that live, anyway. Petty Officer Barossa to the former members of the 18th Latimar Infantry upon their reassignment to the Grand Cruiser Perdition's Honor as ship's armsmen. It's tough fighting in a ship, y'all. It's a bad time. It's yep. a real bad time. Lots of bad deaths, and there's one that sees them all. Yep. Uh, so there's a couple of extra things to boarding actions. They're not super common or even super important. Uh, the first thing is you'll notice that it is possible to get four or more times the enemy's boarding value. Um, and really the only way to do that is multi-ship boarding actions. When that happens, you follow all the basic rules, but you add all involved ships' boarding values together to get your modifier. Um, and then you can, if you are a brave or foolish soul, board with escort ships. Uh, they can do it using the rules described. They can even attempt to board capital ships if they wish, although escorts will only stand a chance against a badly damaged vessel. Remember that when escorts are boarding or being boarded, a successful critical hit will destroy them, so it is quite possible for an escort to win a boarding action but be destroyed in the process. I do not personally know why you would try to board a capital ship with escorts unless you're using a whole squadron of them to tie up the ship. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah, because you have to stay there, right? And, well, hmm, only I don't if know. you draw. Yeah, no. So it's only can you tar pit a capital ship? Basically, is what I'm asking. No. So, well, it'd be really hard, right? Because the can't move or shoot or can't shoot or launch ordnance uh, is only for the ship attempting to board that phase, right? Mm -hmm. And then you very specifically need to tie the combat. Yes. So you could aim for that theoretically. You know, I put five of my space marine crew ships up against the cruiser and like my odds aren't great but if i roll a five and he rolls a two then we've tied and you know the other guy's dictator is out of the game for a couple of turns but it's a bad idea i've i've generally only seen it um when like three or four escorts will jump on a cruiser with one hole point left yeah that's about uh, the only time i could think about it um or um, if you need a little extra oomph, right? So I've seen it where, like, a not World Eaters strike cruiser, who doesn't need to do this, but, like, a strike cruiser will jump on a cruiser and an escort squadron also will to provide a little more boarding value. Yeah, because uh, I guess you can only 
perform a counter action against one ship at a time. And theoretically, it's the first well, ship that boards you. No, it, it becomes multi-boarding. Um, and then the attacker distributes the hits. Mm. So it can be real bad. And the critical hits happen or can happen to everybody, right? So in that case, say we got a stalemate and it's a strike cruiser and three escorts. You crit the strike cruiser on a five up and you crit each individual escort on a five up. Ooh. Yeah. I so see. it's not a great idea. Um, but sometimes you, you know, just feel the hand of corn on your shoulder and you go crazy. Sometimes I you got to do it. it. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you want to get a little froggy about it. It's also yeah. kind of hilarious. Um, I've seen escort squadrons try to board other escort squadrons. <laughs> And just like, it didn't work because he wasn't really thinking. Uh, He's like, oh, I've got six Cobras, or I think he had like five Cobras, uh, and I had five Novas. And his Cobras had fired uh, torpedoes already uh, and had failed to reload ordnance, right? So he was like, well, I'll do this, and that'll work. Um, Unfortunately... You know, and it, it seemed like all right. Well, you got five, I got five, or one whole point apiece. Uh, but he forgot that defenders add turrets in, so uh, I wound up having a boarding value three times the enemies. And uh, <laughs> I think I like killed two because like I won the combat by two, so two just died, right? And then I critted another two, which just kills them. Uh, and then you It'd know, just like kind of went about sometimes. my day, yeah. Like, that's- the way it goes yeah because it was five five individual boarding actions and it, it yeah Whew. didn't work didn't work well um i think that's just about everything yeah because we've already leaders. talked about hit and runs and that's the other yeah no. yeah talked about those plenty yeah uh, we've we've fanboyed over lotara again uh, so much if you want to read more about lotara uh the books in question well there's two novels and everything else is shorts um butcher's nails is the first one she appears in mm-hmm. uh then you have betrayer and she's not in first heretic never mind yeah no she, why would she be in first heretic yeah no well i kept thinking like shadow crusade stuff but no yeah. she's in betrayer yeah. is where she gets most of her screen time mm-hmm. she's in uh siege of Terra. book one right no, not book one. It's yeah. wherever it's. Um, oh, when they're talking about letting Angron out. Is it First Wall or Lost in the Damned? I think the Lost in the Damned. Yeah, she's in Lost in the Damned. There's not a whole lot of void action, but she is there. Um, Just briefly. Uh, yeah, but the the best, probably short with her in it is Rose Watered with Blood. Yeah, Spoiler alert, her. she's the Rose. Yeah. Ugh. And she is. Yep. A rose so, made of adamantium. Mm. Mm. so uh the next episode we're gonna do we'll um we'll probably figure it out we're probably gonna do more legions at least for one other episode we're gonna go uh, to the ultramarines boys do you want yay. to yeah <laughs> we'll probably do a twofer we'll probably do ultramarines and death guard yeah uh, they're, they're both fairly straightforward in what they do and yep. uh let's face it we think they're both kind of boring even though i love the death guard I love the Death Guard too, but you know, their their Legion rule, there's not a lot to it. Nope. 
it's pretty simple, pretty uh, easy to grasp. The one is deceptively good, though. We'll get into that. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we do have something special planned uh, pretty soon here once we kind of coordinate it. It's a little harder to do than just hopping on and reading out of a PDF or um, a blue book. Uh, we kind of thought it would be cool to do a, and we'll probably do this in conjunction with the new book club, a void battle uh, in literature episode. Uh, we're going to talk about books uh, at a black library that have a, a pretty sizable focus on void warfare. So you know what to read when you want your fix. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun. Looking forward to that. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about Execution Hour a lot. Yeah, we are. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Shadow Point, which likewise is very good. Yes. So, I guess until next time, uh, remember that sometimes you can blow an enemy up with a macro cannon or a lance or a torpedo, but most of the time, chain axes and bolt shells, baby. That'll win you the war. Good hunting. Thanks for listening to another podcast from the Remembrancers Retreat. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can also find our swag store at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash RR30K podcast. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at RR30K podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Remembrancers underscore retreat. You can also visit our website RR30K.com for podcast updates and the Battlefleet Heresy Compendium. You can also leave us a voicemail for us to play on a future podcast at 1-929-437-3791. That's 1-929-HERESY-1. And you can also leave us an email at the Retreat at gmail.com. Thanks again. <laughs>